Welcome everyone, it's Enrico Janko, I'm The Signal. Um, today we're going to dive a little bit more into time frames. Last we left, we were talking about the different time frames and how the time frames are the key to understanding how the market moves and understanding the cycles of the market. Once we understand that the market specialists, the wholesalers, the people on the higher time frames, they are the ones that are holding in the beginning the most inventory, we can start to then understand why the cycles occur as they do. Um, to make it easier to understand we can start off with looking at something that we're just regular business that we're all familiar with. Because a lot of times, I believe that's what's left out of the equation when we're looking at the markets. Just simple business sense, logical business sense that we're used to. We live in a capitalistic society, so we're used to just supply and demand in the market. We go through it every day. So let's look at like GM, General Motors. And when we go through that, we can see that mostly any industry that, you know, you have to pay a dollar for something operates in the same way. And it operates based on where the most volume is distributed. And what does that mean with the volume? That means who's holding most of the stuff. All right. Whatever the stuff is, who's who's holding most of it. So if we were to use like a, a car, a, a car factory, um, Ford factory, General Motors factory, Lexus factory. And we talked about who holds all the volume. It's the factory, right? Because the factory is where they make all the cars. So, of course, they're going to have mostly all the cars at the factory. Just like if I went to a candy factory. At the candy factory, I would expect that most, there's the most candy there. I could get, if I was a kid, I could go there and just all the candy would be there. There's more candy there at the factory than is at the store, than is at my house. Then I could find, you know, just troll in the neighborhood, period. At the factory, they hold the most candy they have the most volume at the factory at the ford gm factory they have the most cars period it's nothing mind-blowing or groundbreaking in that we know that so right off bat we see that the factory is obvious that they have the most control over the price. 
because they hold the most volume simple so the first thing that we we learn here is that the longest term time frame has the most control over the price of the item because the longer term time frame usually owns most of the item the specialist the wholesaler the insider they are long-term sellers of a product us as retailers we are long-term buyers of a product which makes us short-term sellers so just think about that equation the wholesalers are long-term sellers and the retailers are long-term buyers and the inverse of that is that the wholesalers are short-term buyers and the retailers are long-term buyers okay that's important I slowed down there because that's important it's an inverse relationship we're already doing the opposite of what the long-term most influential people in the market are doing already as a retail trader we are doing the opposite of what the most important people in the market are doing let's further drill down on that point because it's very important the fact that once you are entering the market that you are already inclined to do the opposite of what the long-term person in the market is doing puts you at a distinct disadvantage from the jump because the long-term investor understands the real value of the product and that's a big 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 point because if we don't if you don't i don't understand what the real value of a product is how can we trade it how can we trade it if we don't know the true value of it or what the majority of people who have the most influence on the product believe what the value of it is that's a difficult proposition to maintain profitability on that's like running a Dunkin Donut and not knowing what the value of a single donut is you're running a donut shop but don't know the true value of your supplies 
you don't know what the true value of flour and sugar is. Like, these are obvious things that you would need to know to be in business. Usually, though, when we're in the trading business, we're not informed enough because we're not informed buyers since we're only thinking on our short-term level most of the time what we consider value is based on hype and what we think everyone else is doing it's very very important point very important distinction Stottlemyre writes in glimpse, glimpses of markets at work. He says, observing the ranch hands trading in used guns and cars, and my father trading in land, equipment, and crops taught me to take advantage of situations rather than letting them take advantage of me. At harvest time, my father was not speculating for big gains. He wanted a fair price for his crop to make a normal profit for his work and his capital investment. If the price at harvest time was fair, he sold. If he felt the price was not fair, he held and stored the grain. When buying, my father wanted a fair price as well. I remember going with my father shopping to buy all the groceries for the camp. He knew the price of everything. And he always bought the sale items. If the price was too high, he would not buy. He would substitute or go without. He had a list of what he thought each item should cost. And he would check off the list when he got to the counter to make sure that they did not make any mistakes in adding up the bill. When my father had the opinion of buying some used farm equipment, he behaved just as the ranch workers did when they were buying a used car. If the car was undervalued, they would buy it. If it was overvalued, they would not. At the cattle sales, my father would say, you can make a lot of money just being a sharp buyer. But if you overpay, there's no way to get it back. I learned that if you pay more than fair value for something, time is against you. But if you underpay, time is on your side. This becomes the underpinning my approach to trading my father had one rule in buying property six months or a year after you buy the property your neighbor should be willing to pay what you pay for it that was his measurement of value he was an optimistic man but one imprinted by the experience of the depression although he went out of his way to avoid debt he could see that in the post-war world values were changing, making it necessary to use debt judiciously. He knew that the focus of the ranch should not be on daily operations, but on land acquisitions. So he would never borrow to finance daily operations, but he would use credit to buy land. In buying property, my father had different time frames, different needs and different motives depending on the situation. He once planned to buy a ranch with his brothers at an auction. It was a sealed bid auction at which everybody had the right to raise the bid 10%. On our way to the auction, he told me that the other people there would have more money than he did 
and that he would have to scare them out of the auction if he hoped to get the land. To do so, he bid a lot higher than what people thought the land was worth, so there would not be any after-auction rebids. When his bid was announced, a hush fell over the crowd. Many of the farmers in the area told my father that they would sell him their land at that price. No one else tried to raise the bid, and my father accomplished his goal. A good broker or trader does the same thing. Many times they use a higher than normal price to attract traders, realizing that in the short term they were overpaying, but later the price will be a good one. In another instance, my father acquired a piece of property by playing a waiting game. He felt that nobody else was going to buy the property, so he had plenty of time. The attorney for the estate dickered over the price for a year and a half, but my father knew that the estate had to sell it. He gambled on the chance that no one else would buy it, and he won. He got the property for about 40% less than the original asking price. Again, the relationship of market conditions to value and to the buyer's and seller's needs was critical. My father was always prepared. He always had a game plan. When he started ranching back in 1916, he knew what he was going to buy and how he was going to accomplish his plan. He had patience to do it over time. He knew when to move quickly and when to move slowly. I was always after him to buy other pieces of property that were outside his game plan, but he never would. He always refused to buy marginal properties because he felt that he should never buy anything bad or sell anything good. My father explained these ideas to me, and although I had no previous market experiences of my own, I began to see the difference between buying a used car, buying a gun, buying a piece of land, or selling crops. These were all different markets, and depending on the needs of the individuals, there were different ways to approach each market, applying the same principles of value to different conditions. That's a big one for me. Applying the same principles of value to different conditions. Sounds like his father became an informed buyer. An informed buyer knows what the fair value of a product is. Value is a fair return or equivalent in goods, services, or money for something exchanged. A fair return is the, the big part of it. The monetary worth of something defines its market price. And value is at the heart of, of any trading. It's the core concept behind any buy or sell decision, period. If you were planning to buy a new computer and you saw one advertised for $1,000, would you immediately buy it? Does the fact that someone decided to announce that it's on sale for $800, does it make it an immediate bargain? And the obvious answer to this is, of course not. Um, most rational consumers would not immediately buy the computer simply because it was on sale unless they had some idea about the true value on the market of that computer. All right. 
while it's possible that the $800 price tag is a great deal, you can't be sure unless you were an informed buyer. An informed buyer seller has the information relevant to what the value of an item is on the market where they want to conduct a trade. If the market information determines that this same as that computer has a retail value of $1,200, then the offer of $800 is great. However, if we discover that most retail outfits offer that $800 computer for $700, the $800 offer is not really a great value at all. The evaluation of value requires information about the market and the retail value of the item in the market. In the case of the computers, information is, you know, easily obtained. You can get that online. You can visit different sites to see what the prices are. Pretty simple. No one likes to, to overpay for anything. So the motivation for buying or selling decisions made by the, the large institutional traders, they're not any different. They are rational market participants and they don't want to overpay for anything. Before any large institutional buyer commits any of their funds to, to a trade, they're going to always carefully study the value of the item in the market. Their buying decisions are going to be made only when they believe that the items are undervalued in the market. So they, they're only going to buy when they believe something's undervalued. Buy undervalued. They got analysts and teams of people that's researching this information to help them evaluate and determine the true value of the financial instrument that they are trading in. They're going to use a combination of fundamental data and technical data to answer those questions for them. And the perceptions of that value will differ greatly among all the, you know, the different participants. However, the seasoned market participants, they're going to base all their buy and sell decisions on what they perceive is value in the market. An informed trader is not going to make any trading decision without some idea of where the real value in the market is, period. In, in any market, a buyer or seller, they have to have some way of identifying what is true value in the market. If I don't care, and it doesn't matter on what you're trading or what time frame, if you don't know what the true value of the market is, you can't make a logical decision. And in order to know the true value of the market, you need to know what the price of it is, what time frame it's trading on, and how much of that product does the time is the time frame holding. Market-generated information is what influences change, and change is going to influence every market participant.
from the day trader all the way up to the the long-term investor so we're all trading on just the evidence that is revealed in the market as time passes and as it does pass that time each of decision is cast into new light as new participants enter and new participants leave I don't they're no longer participants but you understand what I mean as people enter and leave the market um you really get to understand it more as you start to understand the the results of the volume dis distribution the value distribution who owns the most of the product reveals the motivation that each time frame has within the market landscape. Who owns the most product? Um, to illustrate the importance of it, let's take a look at like the automotive industry. And we could take any industry, really. We could take the housing industry. We could take the cotton candy industry. We could take any industry. It doesn't matter. But people tend to, I guess, understand the car industry somewhat so we'll look at say Ford and Ford is a long time frame producer of cars they're they're on the longest time frame they're the factory so all of their money is invested into the development of the product of cars so they have taking all of their money to invest in raw materials and everything necessary to create the car. They are the longest time frame and they are the longest time frame seller. They are the producer of the automobile. The general public, we are the long time, long time frame buyer. Our actions are the result of, of long-term commitments. So we as retailers buy cars regularly and Ford sells cars regularly. Now, we don't, the retailer, me, you, we don't buy cars directly from the Ford factory. What we do, we go to a, a independent dealer, and they operate on the intermediate time frame, not as long as the time frame as the factory, because they don't take and invest all of their money into making the car. No, they take their money and they buy cars from Ford. And then take the rest of their money to market those cars to you and me. Now, let's examine the role that volume plays when these various time frames are going to inter interact. And this is, once again, happens on all markets and all markets that are financial in nature so ford is going to sell the car to the dealer and the dealer is going to sell the car to you and me that's the regular perfect scenario everyone's happy 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 um in the real world though it doesn't it's never that simple and clean so if we look at it a little further 
say Ford sells about 50 cars to the dealer. However, only about 30 of them are purchased by retailers, me and you. What happens now? The dealer, his inventory is going to start to build up now. And he's forced to, to take action to aggressively discount his prices so he can attract more sales. So he can balance out his inventory. He doesn't want to have 30 cars on the lot. Maybe his, his objective or his projections tell him that the best spot for him to be, his sweet spot, is to have only 10 cars in his inventory. So when a dealer sees his lot overflowing, he's, he's going to reduce the orders that he, gonna, he places with Ford. So I got a bunch of cars in, in the lot that are, are not moving. So of course, I'm going to not buy any more cars right now because I want to move the ones I got. And if a lot of, you know, dealers, Ford dealers are experiencing this slowdown in, in sales like that, what's possibly will happen is that the factory will then also have a build up in inventory because they're they're right there building cars. They're the factory. Their their sole job is to put the car together. So if the dealers aren't buying the cars, their inventory is also building up. So now the factory will have to begin to offer incentives to the dealer. So now we're getting incentives to both the dealer and the individual purchaser. Right? So the prices is, is being slashed. Once prices are now being slashed, we now get to the point where prices can be the undervalued, where the car is seen undervalued. So it's worth noting that over the years, a substantial number of well-known, you know, gurus, researchers, you know, traders, they they fail to recognize the importance that this has in the market and if I believe if you don't recognize the importance of it and don't point it out to other people that others will be led astray if they don't understand the relevance that each of these time frames are having behind the buying and selling this powerful piece of information this, this knowledge is going to unlock the key information behind all future directional movement if we look at our you know example we did in the automotive industry you see that there was a buyer and seller you know for every every piece of product However, the time frame that was holding the most volume, that had the most product, 
had everything to do with the price movement. And because the dealers, the factory, and the dealers were holding the majority of the inventory, that's all the value. Price had no other choice but to move lower so they can attract more long-term buyers. Price had no other choice because the people that was holding the most inventory had too much inventory. They had an excess. So if they have excess inventory, they have to slash the prices to get people to start buying. And then when people start start buying, then they can start raising prices. Uh, hopefully, um, I'm, I made this kind of clear of what goes on. But this goes on throughout all the different time frames. All the different time frames and all the different industry. Someone that's a scalper or a day trader, they're, they're, they're on a time frame of the retail car buyer. They're going into the dealer to buy the car. You got the swing traders and the or the short-term investors. They're like the, the dealership. Then you have the longest-term investors. You know, your governments, your big, huge institutions. They're like the factories. They print money, right? That's where all the, the volume is at. So our objective is to be where all the volume is at and to be in tune to what they are doing, the specialists, it's the people that are actually in the, what used to be the pit, um, we need to know where that money is moving because that money knows what the true value of the product is because they have the most of it. And since they have the most of it, they're going to manipulate it the most, the price of it the most to reach their, their um, objectives. And to help them reach their objective, they'll use the media to advertise price opportunities. So news events and conferences and when the the um the people with the money speak the federal reserve minutes whenever any of these things occurring the specialists will use these announcements to reach their goals interesting stuff very very much so
hopefully this little small talk in, in time frames was, was helpful to you. It's definitely um, more to it, of course. But what's important is that the idea that market activity is influenced by, you know, different participants operating under different time frames and motivations. And the way each of these participants um, combines and employs their information is different. But their goals are still the same rational ideas of making a profit and not overpaying for what they're buying. So if you look at like look at it like that, you start to see that your time frame can be the cornerstone of what you do in the market. Because your time frame has a a value. And you're like, what do you mean by time frame has a value? And what I mean by that is that the time frame that you are operating on the market participants that are in that time frame that are trading at that time frame, there's a consensus of what the informed traders believe is the value at that time of that asset. And if you and I can recognize what that value is, then we can make logical decisions based on what the value of the product is inside of the market at the present time. All right, so we're going to go further into this and get more into the auction side of it because we look at we kind of look at one side. I, I actually look at one side closer than the other side just because of how it's made up. But it's a double-sided auction that we're looking at. Investors and speculators. That's what goes on. Investors and speculators. We know that most investors and traders tend to buy at the top when in fact they should be selling and sell at the bottom when they should be buying. That's what the retailers do. And the specialists and the market makers are well aware of the psychology and the makeup of most retail traders. They also know this group is easy to frighten out the market. Generally, they get in far too late after a trend has been in place for some time and only jump in when they feel it is safe having watched the market move regretting decision not to enter much earlier as the late christopher brown once said the time to buy is when the price is on sale and not when they are high priced because everyone wants to own them and this sentiment applies to any instrument or market Buying when on sale is always at the bottom of a trend and not at the top. Missing an opportunity is a classic 
trader fear. The trader waits and waits before finally jumping in just at the point when the market is turning and they should be thinking of getting out. This is what the insider specialists, market makers, and big operators bank on. Trader fear. Remember, they see both sides of the market from their unique and privileged positions. The specialists drive the prices higher. And then when the market starts to struggle at those higher levels, they are selling to the market to clear their warehouse. But if the buyers are not there in sufficient numbers, then the price is just going to move higher as it's constantly knocked back by longer-term traders selling out, taking their profits off the table. The specialists continue selling into the buying. You see that? The specialists... See, this is uh, uh, such an important point that the specialists hype up. They get the crowd hype so they can sell into the buying hype. So they're always buying for what they value as undervalue and they sell into hype. So they're always selling at overvalue. All right? Those are important. So, so important. And I say so many things are, are important, but when it all comes together, you'll start seeing it clearer. It's just reality. It's just reality of the market. And I believe the this reality is going to be shown to more and more people as as the reality is just being shown more and more in all phases of life right now. When the year 2019, the ascendant masters and teachers of light have orchestrated tools so that the, the new informed masses can step into higher dimensions and you start understanding how everything involving time, space, and perception is such an illusion. And once you start to understand that, you'll, you'll gain a wisdom in the market that's going to be like a just a significant leap in your own personal consciousness it's, it's the new energies and technologies and tools that are being made available to us is changing the course of history once this resonates with you and it will over time nothing is going to resonate with you or you're not going to feel anything else as powerful as this experience is going to be felt at a, a deep level because it is the truth period 
everything is attracted to the light. Even the bugs are attracted to the light. So fifth dimension is, is a pathway, is a course, is a unique experience that attempts to transform the trader from the inside out and move them away from just the conditioned responses that they do in the market and kind of expand your consciousness of what's possible or what the possibility of what's going really going on in the market so far so far as a a trader you might have always looked at the market from your viewpoint and not from the viewpoint of an informed buyer we must always understand that the movement of the market is more so created from the wholesaler, the specialist, the person with the most volume in the market, the people with that stand to lose the most, to have the most skin in the game. They actually move the market in whole. You might think that you have all the skin in the game because you, you know, you took your couple of thousand or whatever and it's all that you have and it's all your skin in the game but the market is based off of the mass psychology and usually you are doing what the masses are doing and thinking as a long-term buyer and not as a long-term seller in the market. The market is made for people to sell their goods. As long-term buyers, just like in the, the car example, they have the most to lose because their representation of what is value or what is valuable will be out of skew with what the factory and the dealer suggest is the real value for the item. So my purpose is just to really give you as much information and and start giving you some practical experience to assist you along into your journey with trading. Um, Maybe this is probably not just the full pathway laid out by those that have shown me, but it is going to be an in-depth instructional experience that you could draw on and understand the most important aspects of this journey. None of this is is quick and simple. It's not a a quick listen and you just absorb the experience um, rather you might hear this a few times and then after a while it will start to make sense because it is what we live every day if you think about it um, when you go into the cell phone store you know that if you go into the Apple store somewhere there is an Apple factory and then you go from the Apple factory to the Apple dealership store. And then you can go into a, a uh, I don't know, 
a local type store and find an iPhone and buy it there also. Or you could go to your Samsung, I mean, your Walmart or other types of stores to, to buy that Apple product. And it's all the same. It's it's all going to be the same movement of information throughout the course of the product and that information is going to tell you what that product is valued at at any given time and based on your experience with that product you will know whether it is valued under or over its true price its true value to the participants in the market all right i know this like i said it's this this course will take you some time but the rule structures and and limitations that you are faced with now you won't be because we're we don't have we don't have any indicators or any um, discrepancies as far as market movements to change our opinions a lot of times just small discrepancies or not understanding of how a market actually moves changes our opinions of the market because we're not understanding how the market moves. We don't if we don't know what the true value of a product is and the price goes up or down, how do we know who is behind that move? We can easily say that okay for the price of the market to even move that the insider must move it. Yes, that is true. However, the insider goal and objectives you are not always privy to you we need to know whether the the insider has an excess of inventory or not because if he has an excess of inventory then we know he needs to sell it but if he's low on inventory then we know he needs to buy it so that's just very it's just it just once I knew that and I began to experience it, I began to see myself differently as a sovereign trader who was no longer at the mercy of you know the conditioned thoughts and emotionally charged responses that I had in the market. You know, I discovered a, just a new awareness. And uh, uh, ability to choose correct analysis and have choices that I feel that were just not available to me before. Yes, it was always a buy or sell choice, but buying and selling was based off of how the market sped up or slowed down, or the rate of change, or or any of those. Any of those things that could be disputed by another person or by my own 
other side of conscience. Once I understood how the market worked and was able to look at the character of it itself, the, the, the character generated from the information of the market, then I could see the footprints of the specialists in the market and then was able to follow that print.